Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast that seeks to recover authentic Christianity and live it out today. Well, we've been in a series on the gifts of the Spirit for a number of weeks here, and we've heard from John Truitt, Greg Dibel, Victor Gluckin, a number of different points of view. Today, we hear a new perspective on the manifestations of the Spirit from Carlos Jimenez, who stakes out what he calls an evidentialist position. He is neither a cessationist nor a continuationist, but someone who retains a certain level of skepticism towards reports of spiritual activity. Here now is episode 380, Tests the Spirits, with Carlos Jimenez. Hello, Carlos, and thank you for joining me today on Restitutio. Our mission here at Restitutio is to restore authentic Christianity and live it out today. And we've done this examining a bunch of different doctrines and practical issues, but we haven't done many episodes on spiritual gifts. So we're in this series now on spiritual gifts. We've talked to John Truitt, Greg Dibel, Victor Gluckin, and I'm very interested to get your take on things as well here. So welcome to the show today. Thank you for having me, Sean, and letting me uh, talk to your audience. And I really enjoy your website. Your podcasts are very informative and entertaining. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear they're entertaining. I don't uh, often hear that said about them, but uh, I'm glad to hear that. I, I think one of the worst things we can do is be boring as uh, Christians who are trying to communicate and to teach others. Uh, boring teachers just the worst, I think. But uh, anyhow, glad to hear that. The question before us today is, what's your view on spiritual gifts? Now, I, know, I wanted to have you on because you've been uh, outspoken on this subject in the past, and uh, you had a presentation in 2020 last year at the Theological Conference titled, A Brief History of Spiritual Gifts. And uh, in that presentation, you talked about, in the beginning, you don't want to quench the Spirit, which is what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 and 20, uh, or despise prophecies. Of course, you're aware that uh, Jesus taught that the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is an unforgivable sin, and in the context there, that was people calling what he did demonic. You know, Jesus is is casting out demons. They're saying, oh, that's by the prince of demons and so on. So these are, these are uh, warnings, if you will, to not uh, be too, too quick to dismiss everything spiritual. But at the same time, I'm sure you don't want to be gullible. So maybe uh, you could just share a little bit about your own personal history on this subject, about your own life, and summarize a little bit what your current position is on the whole subject of spiritual gifts. Yes, thank you, Sean. And um, I'd like to first say I prefer the title, if we're going to use any titles, evidentialist. I think cessationist, unfortunately, like many titles, you know, they become obscure or they become a bit misleading. So I think I'm an evidentialist. And I hope by the end of this discussion, people will know what that is. So basically, I came to Christianity in my early 30s, and I came through a home church that were mainly members of Assemblies of God. 
I have that experience of already coming into an environment where they were all speaking in quote tongues. So by tongues, we mean the Greek word glossolalia, which I prefer and many prefer to just say foreign unknown languages. So I'll just stick to languages for now instead of tongues. So that was the church you were raised in? Right. So when I became a Christian, I congregated with a home church, family, friends, and most of them were former Assemblies of God okay. people. The pastor himself was a former pastor, Assemblies of God. Okay. And they used to do the, the, the whole uh, languages, glossolalia deal. And one day I came upon a book that taught how to speak in languages. And I immediately remember going to the pastor at the time and saying, is this, is this right? This doesn't sound right to me. In other words, it's a gift from God, right? It's self-defining. Mm -hmm. uh, how, how is it this, this book is saying that you can actually teach people a gift, a spiritual gift? And to the pastor's credit at the time, who again was this Assemblies of God pastor, he said, no, that doesn't sound right. So that's my introduction, and this is going back 2007, maybe. Okay. And that was my introduction to the whole issue. Uh, I grew up agnostic myself, so I don't have any sort of teaching regarding any doctrinal things. Okay, so let me just see if I got that right. You grew up as an agnostic, not basically an unbeliever that wasn't sure that there wasn't a God, but didn't live as if there was a God. If Is that a fair way to say it? Exactly. Agnostics, they know it's something out there, someone, something, but they don't know what it is. Okay. And then at, at what age did you become a Christian? I was 32. Okay. And when you became a Christian, you joined a church that had these sort of like Assemblies of God feel to it, even though it wasn't officially affiliated with them. And part of that was the speaking in tongues, or glossolalia, as you prefer to call it, which is just the Greek word for tongue, right? Glossolalia, tongues. Right. Now, did you ever actually speak in tongues yourself, or try to speak in tongues? And if so, what was that like? I only experienced it through other people. So my okay. mother, my family, some family members, cousins, the pastor mm -hmm. at the time, and friends. So I only experienced it. No one really sat down with me and said, uh, this is what we're doing, <laughs> which was interesting. So you just walk in there and people are doing these things. Yeah. And so no one really went through it formatively with me what was happening. I had to sort of research this, ask questions and so on. Yeah, yeah. So uh, over time, you came to doubt that that was legitimate based on this book. Right. So that was the precursor. That was the catalyst, uh, a book teaching you how to do a spiritual gift. And then came the when I when you study the issue and I ask questions, you, you pretty much quickly see that it's a language. It, it's a supernatural uh, ability that God's, God gives certain members of the church to speak in unknown foreign languages. But what I was hearing did not sound like any language known to human beings anyway. It's important to note that we live in an age where most people, I would say, I do not want to overgeneralize, but I think most of us can pretty much pick up a foreign language, although we do not understand it, if you know what I mean. 
I I couldn't pick that up. It was just, you know, and the other thing was everyone was doing it at the same time. So then you read, you know, first Corinthians 12, first Corinthians 14 talks about order in the church and so on. So all those things led to me re researching and coming to the conclusion fairly quickly that it was disorderly and that it wasn't a language as we see in the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 and then later with Cornelius and what Paul says in, to the Corinthians. So I went to the pastor at the time and told him my, uh, how can I call this? My uh, Your doubts? My doubts. <laughs> And to my surprise, again, this man was an Assemblies of God pastor for many years. Mm -hmm. I, I come in like six, eight months into the faith, and I'm questioning and asking questions. And when I challenged him on this, he said, you know what, Carlos, you're right. We're doing it wrong. So we're going to change this and, uh, and so on. So... They, they changed the style they had of everyone just doing it. And then I, I really didn't talk about it any longer. I didn't pursue it because then I got into the whole Trinity thing. <laughs> you know, God is three in one, and I, I, I had to research that. But eventually that little group we had, that home church, eventually no, people just stopped doing it altogether. Uh, even in a quote or orderly fashion, which was interesting. So that's as far as my experience goes, and I, and I was with them for a couple of years. Okay, and since then, obviously, you've looked into this subject more, and uh, I want to get into the the church history because I know you've done a lot of work there, and uh, obviously, that's something that I personally am always interested in is church history. But before we do that, how would you summarize your case biblically? Right. So if we go to the passages in the Corinthians chapters, right? So 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, we see that Paul defines charismatic gifts, supernatural gifts, right? So you have glossolalia, which is an unknown foreign language that the person speaks. In other words, I'm in a church meeting and I start speaking German. I haven't uh, learned it. I, I haven't looked du at it. Du hast Sorry? I said, du hast keine Ahnung. That means you have no idea in German. <laughs> there you go. I had no idea what you said, but... There you go. <laughs> so, uh, and next we go to other gifts. And so you have prophecy. So not just prophesying as in edification, exhortation, and so on, but prediction. And 100% prediction. So you have the, the famous prophets in the Bible. And then you have big ones, right? Like miracles, signs, and wonders. Mm -hmm. yeah. healing yeah and th those are self-explanatory so and then you see that the gifts uh either uh, as as you might say stand or fall together in other words paul says in first corinthians 12 one person is given this gift to another is given that gift to another this gift it doesn't sound like there was just the one gift evident in the church it sounds like all the gifts are working and then Paul says, explains in other places, like uh, in uh, First Corinthians, uh, sorry, Ephesians 4, he says, he explains that there's one body, there's one spirit, and the one spirit gives all these manifestations or, or gifts of the one and the same spirit. So 
that that's what I see, and and that's against some systems that teach that one individual can have all the gifts. To me, that's pretty self-evident from First Corinthians twelve. I don't have all the gifts. I don't have healing, miracles, uh, languages, and, and prophecy. It, it it's pretty clear that each member of the body of Christ is given said gift, and then you move on to the benefits. So, what are the gifts for? Well, therefore. A few things, mainly edification of other Christians, edification of the church, mm -hmm. and assigned to unbelievers. And that's very self-evident from Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, Acts 10, Cornelius, and what Paul says, obviously, in 1 Corinthians, where he specifically says this is assigned to unbelievers. So, in other words, the language, mm -hmm. glossolalia gift, in the New Testament, it's never used to simply overcome a language barrier. So okay. you have some people teaching today that, well, well, actually, not some people. If you look at history, and we'll get into that a little bit, Pentecostals back in the 1900s, they said to themselves, oh, we God has gifted us with glossolalia. Let's go to China and do mission work. So I don't think that's what the New Testament shows, the book of Acts shows, and Paul shows in Corinthians. It's not just to overcome a language barrier so I can go and preach to the Chinese person or the, or the German mm -hmm. person. It's clearly set out. It's edification assigned to unbelievers if it's a missionary work setting. Okay. Let me, uh, let me see if I can summarize what you just said there and uh, have you either agree or disagree with what I think I heard you say there. The gifts of the Spirit are available today as um, God equips the Church, and that different people are able to do different things based on that gifting that God provides. Is that what you're saying, or are you saying something different than that? Well, I'm defining the biblical definition of gifts of the Spirit, spiritual gifts, charismata. Okay. Now, the question is, is, are they available today? Okay, so no, you're you were you were talking biblically, and now you're moving to what about today? Right, right. Okay. I'm just defining the biblical what I understand to be biblical definitions okay. of the spiritual gifts. Now, if we're going to speak about are the gifts evidence today? Well, if we agree with those things that I see in Scripture, that they either stand or fall together, that you know, they involve predictions, 100% accurate, miracles, signs, and wonders, and so on, then obviously, no, I, w I would say. I don't see that in any church, in any group. And if you do your history, you will see that typically it's not seen, apart from the New Testament, the book of Acts, all the gifts working are not seen uh, post-apostolic age, let's call it. So after the last apostle dies, we don't see that happening. What we hear, especially from the early so-called church fathers, they emphasize actually prophecy, a lot of them. Uh, they don't really talk about the glossolalia much. But then you get into the medieval age and the Protestant Reformation days, and then obviously 1900, and that's where you get an emphasis on the one glossolalia, the one gift. So I would say that if it's right that they're all supposed to be active in the church, 
that hasn't been seen as far as I can tell from the history since the days of the New Testament. Okay, so your position then is that it is available today, but you don't you don't see it. Right, it's not seen. Uh, yeah. Okay. So. Now, as far as what uh, Greg Dibel mentioned a few episodes ago in this Holy Spirit series we've been doing here on Restitutio, he mentioned that there was an incident in Papua New Guinea where some missionaries spoke in the native tongue, even though they had never learned it, and it was uh, just a, f a fantastic miracle, a fabulous moment of uh, sheer language, and that that was something that then ceased, and they had to painstakingly learn the native language thereafter, but that in speaking to this group of people in their own tongue, it was something that got their attention and that eventually led to a lot of conversions to Christianity. Would you call that speaking in tongues, Carlos, or what, what would you call that? Or would you just doubt the report on it? Right. So this is a very important matter. Um, yeah. So there are spiritual gifts. So let's say God has gifted you with one of those gifts. But then there's answered prayers. Then there are, there are miracles, just one-time miracles. In other words, if I'm in a mission trip like that, and I'm praying, you know, to God, God open doors, you know, help us in this mission, blah, blah, blah. And something similar to that happens and it stops. It never happens again. I wouldn't call myself a gifted person, a gifted Christian. That's just me. I wouldn't say, well, I have the gift of healing because I went to Nicaragua, which is my native country. And all the way to Nicaragua, I was asking God and Jesus to help heal so-and-so pastor. And it happens. I, w I got there, I, I laid hands on him or her, and they got healed. Now, I'm, I'm not going to call myself a, a healer. I'm not, I'm not going, I don't think it would be right for me to say I have the gift of healing. So we have to be careful to distinguish, in other words, spiritual gifts. If you have a gift with a one-time event, a miracle, you hear this all the time. I heard it from my that uh, Assemblies of God pastor I came through, you know, he said he was in an assembly and he started, quote, speaking in tongues. And there was an African gentleman in the back. And then he came after the service and asked him, oh, are you from so and so place in Africa? So I think we have to be careful to distinguish the one from the other. Okay. If that's clear. All right. So you're saying that miracles happen today and that that's not necessarily evidence that the gifts of the Spirit are available today. Is exactly. That, okay. Exactly. I think people It's often... a different position than we've had before so far in the show, so I, th I think it's good to, okay. to clarify that. What were you going to say? Yes, uh, people often confuse the two, I, I believe, uh, as one-time events, and then they go on to either declare themselves gifted or say that so-and-so church is gifted, and, uh, and the other thing, if I may, uh, quickly, I have what I call a, a, a two-step spiritual gifts plan. I hope it doesn't sound corny, but I think this might be helpful. So the two steps are this, my two steps anyway. First, test the spirits. In other words, the story you just told us, I'm not just going to say, oh, that's a miracle, and period, end of discussion. 
I'm going to want to see who it was, what they were doing, what they were preaching. Which Christ were they preaching? What gospel were they preaching, right? Why? Because we have Old Testament uh, warnings that are still valid to today to the Christian church, I believe, like Deuteronomy 13. It says, even if the prophet that comes to you does a real sign and wonder, listen to those words, Deuteronomy 13, even if that it happens, yet they lead you to other gods, be careful. And that prophet, it goes on to say, will be killed. I mean, that's pretty harsh, right? So mm -hmm. it's an interesting warning because it's not about the legitimacy of the sign or wonder or the prophet, the person, right? It's about something else. And that takes us to step number two in my book. You need to verify the beliefs and practices of said person, said gifts. And that's very important. And that was what led me to the uh, spiritual gifts presentation, a brief history, because I wanted to delve into the history and see those groups. So the, the groups that claim whatever gift or whatever gifts, mm -hmm. right? And what they believe, what they practice. And if you do that, and, and it's a very eye-opening thing, you know, you will see that usually overall those groups as we as you and i understand them by the way we're non-trinitarians we're a gospel of kingdom preachers which is very rare but as you and i would understand that and most of our listeners groups throughout history they if anything they have not held to even what we would consider fundamental tenets of our christian faith as we understand christianity Okay, so in the, in those cases, you're saying that the reports of miracles, like for example, the one that uh, Greg Dibel mentioned in a previous episode, how would you classify it if they if they did have different doctrine? Let's say that that group of missionaries was Trinitarian, for example. The, is that definitive for you that therefore it must be bogus, or what? At, how do you classify it? At the very least, if you are non-Trinitarian right? You shouldn't go to, oh, it's from God. Now, again, I don't want to be misconstrued and, and go the other way and say, it's all demonic, right? Tongues, people who claim to speak in tongues today are demonic. No, because there is also the issue of growing up in an environment that teaches you such things, right? So there's tradition, there's you, right? You can be doing these things. As uh, Paul says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2, there's the spirit of man, there's the spirit of the Antichrist, there's the spirit of God. There are many spirits we're, we're dealing here with. Mm -hmm. But I would say I would advise people to, for example, with the Trinitarians, if you are a non-Trinitarian, you should at least question, right, and do your further research on such stories. For example, I heard uh, Greg Dybul talk about Charles Spurgeon. Yeah. And there's this famous story of Charles Spurgeon, who was a Calvinist. Mm -hmm. He had a prophecy or something, right? He had a prophecy at a meeting. This this young man came in. He was a visitor or something like that. And he didn't know him. And he said to him certain things and everyone was surprised and so on. But it was Charles Spurgeon. 
uh, <laughs> you know, we, we know Calvinism very well. You know, we know about John Calvin, who I call, and I'm not hesitant to call John Calvin a serial killer, uh, unrepentant serial killer, by the way. All I simply say to people is that whenever we talk about this, testing the spirits, right, testing the prophets never comes into the conversation. It's always we immediately jump to, oh, it's from God. Well, he was a Christian, a Baptist, uh, goodness, throwing Mormons. I don't know. Catholic. I mean, we uh, have Catholic charismatics out there. So, yeah. So just clarify this whole uh, Calvin statement you made. Uh, are you saying that Spurgeon was a serial killer because John Calvin executed Servetus? Or what? What, what, is, what does that have to do with Spurgeon? Spurgeon's the guy that had the prophecy, not Calvin, right? Right. But uh, Spur my point is that if, if you call yourself a Calvinist, right? Okay. And I believe he was an unrepentant murderer, especially when it came to the story of Miguel Servet or Michael Servetus, and people should look up that situation. And there is proof... Uh, some of his last letters, John Calvin, he gloried in the fact that he got this man burned alive. Okay. So to me, and this is me, he was an unrepentant uh -huh. murderer. So if you go on and, and uh, participate in that system called Calvinism and all its different, you know, permutations, reform, Baptist and all this stuff. Well, you know, I, I'm not saying Charles Spurgeon went out and, you know, was Jack the Ripper himself, <laughs> but obviously, but obviously, you know, you're, you're supporting a system founded by a murder in my book. Right, right. Anyway. But it, I mean, you, you can have some bad person. I mean, Hitler wore pants. Does that mean none of us should wear pants? I mean, just because somebody bad believes something doesn't mean that what they believe is itself false on that grounds, right? And I'm not just for the record. I'm not defending Calvinism as a system. <laughs> I, 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 I don't hold to it at all. But I, I'm just not. I'm just not following your logic here. Your your main point here is that when we hear reports of miracles from Calvinist groups, that we should doubt those reports as being from God. I think. Right. Or I think just, I'm getting that. Or just, yeah. Or just Trinitarians. In or general. Trinitarians in general. Now, yeah. what are you saying about that as far as the options? Either it could be just a hoax or gullible, you know, something that didn't really happen. It could be from the devil, right? Because you believe in the devil. You're not a Christadelphian. Sure. And <laughs> no. uh, Or it could be God doing something out of his, what, uh, sense of mercy that, you know, he chooses to lovingly heal somebody that maybe has some wrong doctrines. Would you say those are the three options, or do you look at it differently? We don't need to judge in to, in judge to damnation or condemnation. We're only trying to discern the spirits, right? The, so all I'm saying is, if you're part of a system that especially non-Trinitarians like ourselves reject outright— and these are fundamental issues about who God is, who Jesus was, is, and the gospel about the kingdom, right? So I'll just give you three fundamental tenets of that we, our little community, adheres to. All I'm saying is caution, 
Okay. Caution. We don't we don't have to label it. Well, that's demonic, or you know, Sean is just crazy. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't have a clue. All I know is what what the Bible says, and I would ask questions like, for example, in my presentation, if you believe that the spirit is active, irrespective of beliefs and practices, ask yourself how will this serve you, especially as a non-trinitarian. Mm -hmm who do not share set beliefs and practices. These are just simple, legit uh, questions, yeah. common sense questions we all should be asking and not just jump to, oh, it's from God or, oh, it's demonic. <laughs> uh -huh. Or it could be just made up, right? I mean, what is your perspective on John Truitt, who speaks in tongues and was on in previous episodes in this series talking about how since it was in the Bible, we don't normally say, oh, uh, well, this doctrine or this practice is in the Bible, but it stopped. So, you know, just the assumption of continuationism is, is, is typical for, for other doctrines and practices. Of course, uh, Dibble would come back and say, well, hold on, we have 1 Corinthians 13. I, I don't think you're necessarily going to go there, but you have made the point that the Trinitarian or Calvinists or people who have, you know, significant doctrinal deviations from how we understand the scripture to be, you're saying that, hey, we need a lot of caution with that. Now I'm asking, what about within the community of one God believers who hold to the kingdom uh, gospel message? What about those cases? Yep. Good question. And I just had a conversation with John Truitt, by the way, on God, um, what did we call it? The church and the state. I would do that. I would like to just talk more about this with fellow non-Trinitarians who may disagree and test the spirits, test each other. Uh, again, I believe that the gifts as set out, as Paul teaches in, in the letter to the Corinthians, I believe they all are in the church or they're, none of them are in the church. So I would simply like to talk to anyone, really. It doesn't even have to be a non-Trinitarian. But... Um, you know, when I started my Christian uh, journey, I couldn't even get my foot in the door, as they say, to talk to Trinitarians about the Trinity because they, hey, you're demonic, you're, you're the demonic, <laughs> get out. So I would at least, you know, like to talk about, well, how do you see this passage here about, you know, the gift is given to individual people, not to all, the one person all at once. What do you make of the fact that it, it looks like, it sounds like it's all all the gifts are supposed to be evident in, in the congregation. Uh, what, what do you think of the Deuteronomy 13 passage, even if it comes true, mm -hmm. if you believe that other systems, other denominations are doing it? I mean, I, I, I would just have a whole bunch of questions. And what I do, what we do in our ministry, uh, Restoration Fellowship, is usually have conversations like this and like you. We put them out for people to test and make up their own mind. I hear what you're saying, and I appreciate that uh, willingness to dialogue. I really commend you for that. We have so much polarization in our time on, it seems like, everything. Obviously politics, but also beliefs and faith and sexuality and all kinds of other topics as well. Abortion really key, important topics. So uh, there's less and less dialogue across lines. Uh, and uh, so I think it, this is something that really inspires me 
in this series on Holy Spirit to find the voices and then allow the voices to speak that have different perspectives here. We've heard from John Truitt, who believes that all Christians today can speak the to- can and should speak in tongues. We heard from Greg Dibel, who believes that no Christians today can or should speak in tongues unless there's some sort of exceptional missionary situation going on. And, and then last time we had Victor Gluckin sharing the view that it seems like you're also sharing, although I, you know, I, I don't want to lump you in unfairly here, but the view that God equips different people with different spiritual gifts for the edification of the church as he sees fit. And so I think it's really good to see all these different perspectives. I think you're uh, more restricted than Pastor Victor in in your assessment of what's out there today. But, uh, you know, I, I, I do commend your willingness to discuss across lines. You know, I think that's a really good thing. Uh, however, you never really answer my question. <laughs> And I, I appreciate you want to be delicate, you want to be respectful, but when John Truitt is speaking in tongues or other one God kingdom believers, what is that? What do you think that is? Oh, again, you, you know, you're, you're, doing, <laughs> you're trying to corner me in the, in the proverbial corner. Uh, maybe you're not doing it uh, uh, willingly, but I almost agree with John Truitt on the nonviolence issue which is the conversation really we had about the church and state. Mm. And uh, I can appreciate your points uh, of view on that, by the way, the nonviolence. But I would simply would like to speak more to my fellow non-Trinitarians on this issue, if you are uh, a la John Truitt. So I know that uh, the Wayne International was a non-Trinitarian group that had these spiritual gifts uh, teachings and then the ex- x-way groups and so on you know i don't want to um just say well it's this or that because really i don't know okay i mean but one thing i do know is that it's very foolish to say well that's demonic as i hear some so-called cessationists say right that's oh that's the devil that's this that's that well we we don't know this i I think i'm I, i think i'm seeing your position a little more clearly as we go here you seem to be very against continuationism and cessationism. I believe like, that the gifts, the, the spiritual gifts stand or fall together. That's what I see in, in Paul's teachings about it. Okay. They're very well defined, especially glossolalia as an unknown foreign language. And if you, if the one gift is, is evident in the church, I don't see the problem, according to what Paul says in Corinthians, of seeing any of the rest of the gifts. So the the healer, the the prophet, etc. And just quickly, I see that uh, there's a lot of self-interpretation when it comes to glossolalia. But there's also a gift of interpretation. But oftentimes what you see is people self-interpreting the glossolalia. Mm -hmm. Overall, I rarely hear or see of anyone uh, interpreting the gift of glossolalia of another Christian. So So when you say they stand or fall together, what you mean is that if a church has one uh, spiritual gift that is evident, that you would say that that's bogus because 
they don't also have the other ones? Is that what you mean? Again, I, I don't used to use the word bogus. Well, what do you mean by stand or fall together? I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'm just trying right. to understand what you what you mean by that phrase, stand or fall right. together. That what we see in the in the Corinthians passages is that the gifts are all there. You do know who the prophet is. You do know who the healer is. So that that's what what I mean by it. It seems to work as one, right? It's not just a disparate gift, which is typically what I have seen and my research shows, especially from the 1900s to now. What is it? Glossolalia, the, the so-called tongue. So that, that, that's the issue, that that's not what I read when I read 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14 and the, the history of the church in the book of Acts. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. You call yourself an evidentialist, which is a term that I don't hear other places, but I understand what it means. It means that you're willing to consider the truth of an experience and evidence, but you need to see some sort of proof for that. You don't want to just believe it or dismiss it, right? Right. If I could put it in one line, I would say, not just show me, but tell me what you believe. Okay. So what would it take to convince you of the legitimacy of prophecy or tongues? Like, what, what, where do you set your bar here? Or, or healing? If we go through the biblical steps, it's very well defined. It's not a mystery. So if it meets all the requirements of, of Paul's uh, instructions in the Corinthians church, if it meets all the beliefs and practices of in the book of Acts that we see, uh, not just one time, but we see a couple, multiple times at least. You know, that, I mean, it's, it's very self-evident in my book anyway. Maybe I'm coming across this too simplistic, but it is to me anyway. I mean, it, it's not a big mystery. Okay. So uh, you're not really sure how to define it, but you know it when you see it. Exactly. I mean, the, the requirements are there. The beliefs and practices are there in the New Testament. And yeah. All right. Now, we've been dancing around this church history subject a lot. And uh, right. you, I know that this is something that you researched uh, in order to present last year's paper on uh, a brief history of spiritual gifts. Yeah. Uh, so in that in that presentation, you got into this, and so did John Truitt in uh, part one of this series on the Holy Spirit. And he quoted a number of uh, second and third century Christians who talk about different gifts of the Spirit. Uh, not necessarily just tongues, but multiple gifts of the Spirit. So I, I, I'm curious to get your take on that as far as, I'm curious what your take is on those, those reports from, you know, this, this book here is, I think, what Truett was using. You probably have this one, The Dictionary yep. of Early Christian Beliefs by David Berceau. Yep. He's got quotes in here by all these different guys, uh, Clement of Rome, Diognetus, Justin Mortar. <laughs> Irenaeus. Irenaeus has just a, a masterful chapter on the kingdom uh, at the end of his uh, book uh, mm. on heresy. Uh, Tertullian, Origen. Uh, my, my favorite out of this whole list is, uh, I should have marked it in here, uh, but it's the Apostolic Constitutions. 
I don't know if you came across that one or not, but um, yeah, it's, it's the last one mentioned here, compiled in 390. So that's the late 4th century, and uh, it talks about, Therefore, let none of you exalt himself against his brother, even though you may be a prophet or a worker of miracles. For if it happens that there are no longer any unbelievers, all the power of signs will afterwards be unnecessary. And uh, so he's, he's dealing with, in the church, you've got these people who have prophecy, other miracles, and not looking, basically not looking down on others who don't have the same spiritual gifts that they have. What's your take on all that? It's hard to tell as, as anything, right? So history, especially antiquities, ancient histories, is nigh impossible. But we do see that they go back and forth. By that, I mean... So they condemn it on the one hand, and then they, I guess, exalt it or glorify it on the other hand. And a good example of that is in my presentation, I had a quote from Irenaeus against heresies. Mm -hmm. So he was a, a big against heretics guy, right? <laughs> I mean, he's called against heresies. So. Yeah. And he, he describes a group that became known as Montanists. Montanists from Montanus or Montanus, mm -hmm. who was their leader. Right. And he calls them pseudo prophets. And he says things like they say they set aside the gift of prophecy from the church. And then you have uh, Eusebius. And this is what now fourth century. Yes. Um, condemning babblers, he, people who babble, he mm -hmm. says they, they get into a frenzy. And these people are self-professed Christians. Right. Sounds like the church today, Carlos, right? I mean, you've got uh, John MacArthur with his Strange Fire conference, and then you've got other uh, Christian, Sam Storms, for example, saying, hey, well, I've got the gift of tongues. And uh, it seems like the same old church. You've got some people saying it's there and some people saying, oh, it's, you're just babbling. It's just gibberish, right? Right. And then you have others like a guy called Gregory the Great. Gregory the Wondermaker, I think, was his nom. Yeah, Gregory right. Thaumaturgus, which means uh, right. miracle worker, yeah, or wondermaker. This individual who is said that he moved mountains, dried up lakes, redirected rivers. So he apparently did some legitimate stuff that made some writers in the early church say what they say. But then you have others condemning uh, Gregory, saying, no, he was a charlatan. So again, it's notoriously hard with the ancient so-called early church fathers to get a gauge. But what I do see is that they, above all, lifted up prophecy prediction as the, the gift. And that's why you had this montanist group uh, that made such noise. And, and they're the group, the big group that comes out of all these individuals and groups. Mm -hmm. So I would just say, you know, be cautious with the church father quotes. You can make a doctrine uh, about the gifts today, and then you can also use them against the gifts today. Yeah, so yeah. just as we wind down here, what are your concluding thoughts on the subject? My concluding thought to people out there, and again, thank you for letting me speak to your audience. Do not just assume spiritual gifts are from God without testing said gifts according to the scriptures, not according to Sean Finnegan, Carlos, Anthony Buzzard. Just read the accounts, read the book of Acts. It's very clear what happened back then. 
Uh, read the instructions by Paul in the in the letter to the Corinthians. By the way, it's very interesting that in the so-called later letters of Paul, this subject is pretty much gone. There's no talk of, of this type of thing. So that's interesting. And why? Because the biblical warnings are clear. What happens to not just false prophets, but people who say they are prophets and they do true or real, as Deuteronomy 13 says, signs and wonders. Yet, that is still not the test. The test is, okay, now what happens? Are they teaching me about other gods or about other doctrines that I consider erroneous? Now, we all know that Jesus has a very stark warning, and I think I heard you uh, talk about this recently in Matthew uh, 7. Uh, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not mm -hmm. prophesy in your name? Drive out demons in your name. Perform many miracles in your name. Did we not? Mm. Now, Jesus did not say, I think you said this as well. Oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> Jesus didn't say yeah. that. Instead, Jesus says very interestingly, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who practice evil. And this same evil is the one that Paul warns about in 2 Thessalonians 2 that comes according to the working of Satan in all power, signs, and wonders. And again, I do not want to be misconstrued as judging anyone as demonic who is practicing any one of the gifts, by the way, not just glossolalia, which is the popular one. But all I'm saying is that those people in Matthew 7, would anyone there say, well, they weren't really Christians? They weren't really Christians. Well, Lord, Lord, we, we prophesied. We, we thought we were doing this in your name. Now, they could be lying. I don't know, but it, it's hard to tell. But I wouldn't dare say, well, they were not Christians, Christians. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe they were, but something else was the problem. And, that, and that's all I'm asking your audience here today to just keep testing. Yeah. And, and see, uh, the, this, the scripture, as you know, uh, Sean, says, test all things. Hold fast <laughs> to that which is good. Thank you. Uh, you're not coming from a uh, skeptical, you know, like your agnostic background. If somebody had done a miracle or claimed a miracle, you would just immediately dismiss it, I would think. You're not coming from like a David Hume or a, a skepticism, philosophical skepticism point of view or a naturalist assumption or an enlightenment mentality here. You do believe in miracles and that they are available, but you're saying... Caution, test the spirit, check the doctrine, and then you know proceed accordingly. You know, Sean, we in our little church right now, in our little small home church, we have a brother in in a wheelchair. We've had him in that wheelchair for many, going on decades now. Yes, you know, I, we, I know. I, I know the brother so, you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, I I certainly pray every day. Almost, I think of him, and his wife just was diagnosed with cancer, by the way, and thank God she's in remission. Yeah. Obviously, God is a God of wonders and miracles, and we. Ne I mean, I never dare deny right. that. I wouldn't be a Christian if I did. So, yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. And yeah, I think it just giving an opportunity for you to say that is really helpful here. Sure, sure. No, thank you for giving me the opportunity. All right. Well, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, Sean.
Well, that's it for this interview. I would love to hear your thoughts. If you have questions or comments on this episode, please come over to restitutio.org and find episode 380, Test the Spirits, and leave your comments on the site so that we can hear what you think and interact with it. There have been a number of comments coming in on the previous episode, episode 379, Gifts of the Spirit for the Common Good with Victor Gluckin. But before we read that out, I wanted to mention a new review. This is from Podcast Addict, the app. Ryan T. writes, I believe Restitutio is illuminating the need to restore authentic Christianity. I love seeing the fearless approach of examining perspectives of many diverse issues and topics. Sean does a great job of showing multiple sides of key issues. The civil, love-motivated discussions of opposing views are a great example of Christian interaction. Restitutio has been a great resource and aid in my spiritual growth. It has been, at times, very informative, inspiring, and convicting. I highly recommend it. Thanks so much, Ryan T., for writing in a review and giving us a five-star rating in Podcast Act. I appreciate it, and will certainly help others find this episode. What you commented on bringing out different points of view. This is what we're doing right now. A certain segment of the Restitutio audience is going to strongly disagree with what Carlos just put forward here. And others are going to strongly agree with what he said. This is one of these issues where there's a lot of diversity and there's a lot of passion. The whole subject of Holy Spirit gifts. And yet, that doesn't mean we can't talk about it. And uh, we have, in fact, one more episode left to come in this series to give another perspective that hasn't been mentioned yet, and that is coming from Kevin Gigu, and I very much look forward to hearing his perspective on it. But I did want to just read out a couple of thoughts from the previous week here. Anthony Buzzard wrote in on Victor Gluckin's interview saying, Thank you for inviting comments on your discussion of tongues. I was struck by the fact that no reference was made to the companion gift of translation, interpretation. Paul is clear that no one person has all the gifts. If we are, as you say, in search of authentic biblical Christianity, will we not focus on all the gifts, and especially the companion gift of translation by a different person than the tongue's speaker? Self-interpretation all the time does not match the biblical model, and any claims would be far more convincing if they reflected Paul's teaching on this. My other point is, what evidence can you produce that any of the current claimed tongues are real languages? Well, thank you, Anthony, for writing in on your point about interpretation and the other gifts of the Spirit. I would point you back to episode 375, where John Truitt did cover a number of the other gifts of the Spirit as well. So I'm sorry we didn't get to talk more about interpretation. Uh, just a, a little point on that from, from my own perspective is that in 1 Corinthians 12, it's very clear that the person interpreting the tongue is a different person than the person speaking in tongues. However, in 1 Corinthians 14, in at least one verse, maybe it was two verses, it says that the person who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. So it is said in both ways. And I know some people would disagree with me on this, but my position is a both-and point of view. 
In some cases, it's a different person that interprets. In another case, it's the same person that interprets. What matters is that if tongues occur in a meeting, in a worship setting, where there are other people around, then they need to be interpreted. Otherwise, the tongue speaker needs to be quiet, since it does not edify the body of Christ for the common good. As far as your second point about evidence and your uh, your desire for Victor or whoever to to establish how they know that these are real languages. I'm not sure what kind of evidence could qualify in this case. To my knowledge, tongue speakers don't go around questioning what language the tongue is. It's just, you know, it's just a matter of speaking by faith and making these utterances as one is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So I would think the best case scenario would be to get some sort of a trained linguist to study all kinds of different recordings of speaking in tongues, but I don't think Victor is equipped to to take that sort of a project on. I'm, sh- I'm sure others probably have, but I, I don't know much about that. So it's sort of like the question, well, how do you, how do you know for sure that somebody has believed in the gospel message? I can't see inside their heart. I can see their actions. I can talk to that person, but ultimately I can't know for sure that they're not faking it. How do I know for sure that someone who receives healing, even spectacular healing, like that their eyes receive sight or that they're healed from lameness so that they can rise from a wheelchair and walk? How do I know that that person wasn't already able to see and just pretending to be blind, or that person could already walk, and they were just pretending to be in a wheelchair, and that it, it was all just a sham. I don't know. So far as I know, everything can be faked. And if you want to be skeptical about everything, that's your prerogative. Uh, and, I, and I think that there's a lot of us who are in that camp because we've been hurt in the past, or we've been duped, or we've seen shenanigans where there's showmanship and parlor tricks and a lot of God-dishonoring behavior. So I get it, but I I just don't know how to solve that problem, to be honest. Kevin George writes in on Ryan T's question. Ryan T said, I haven't heard anything about Romans 8.26 on the subject of perfect prayer. And Kevin George writes in and says, As I understand Romans 8.26, the Spirit is ours which groans in prayer at times, not in some unknown language, but in groaning sounds. Uh, Yeah, the text says, uh, just to jump on uh, what Kevin George is pointing out there, the text says it's unutterable groanings or inexpressible utterances, right? So by definition, tongues are expressed. And so Romans 8.26 can't have anything to do with speaking in tongues. Kent Wheeler writes in saying, fine job, finally got around to the most important. The fruit is the proof as well as the evidence. I, like Sean, would say no about speaking in tongues. Thanks, Kent. Well, Kent, I think you might have misheard me. (laughs) I didn't say no about speaking in tongues. I said no one can speak in tongues, that is, apart from God's empowerment, apart from God working a miracle in that person. So actually, I do believe in tongues, that they are available today, and prophecy, interpretation, healing, 
discerning of spirits, faith, miracles, all of it. I believe that it's all available today, but like many others, I'm concerned that on the one hand, people are shying away from it or abusing it. And uh, so that's really what we're looking at here is, is how do we live out the New Testament faith authentically? So I, I think, Kent, you might have misheard what I was saying there. Uh, maybe I wasn't clear about that. AJC writes in saying, Greg and Victor's talks are so wonderful. I always knew the tongue thing was false, but to hear grown men tell how they came to the truth is so helpful. To know they are honest, normal people out there not taken away with this. Once again, I think, AJC, you might have misheard what Victor was saying. In fact, he does believe in speaking in tongues, and he does have speaking in tongues in his church services. He doesn't believe that he speaks in tongues, but that God equips different people for different work within the church with different spiritual gifts, and that although he doesn't speak in tongues himself, others do speak in tongues, in fact, in his own church. And I I can say that as well for my own church, that we do have people that speak in tongues and interpret and prophesy and and so on. Uh, But that doesn't mean that everyone needs to do it. So maybe Victor wasn't exactly clear in our last episode. I don't know. He seemed perfectly clear to me, but I have so much shared contacts with him that it's I know where he's coming from and everything. So hopefully these clarifications can help us out. Well, that's all I have time to read out for today. There are a number of other comments in there too if you want to go check it out at restitudio.org. That's episode 379, Gifts of the Spirit for the Common Good with Pastor Victor of Rhode Island. Take a look at that. Stay tuned for next week where we'll consider one more perspective on this subject before ending this series on the Holy Spirit. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do that at restitudio.org. We'll see you next week, and remember, the truth has nothing to fear.